This program is sponsored by Blazing Grace Ministries. This radio program is PG-13. Parents strongly caution some material may be inappropriate for children under the age of 13. Send me. Jesus' mission was to comfort those who mourn, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to captives, and open prison doors for those who are bound. For those who want more than status quo Christianity has to offer, Blazing Grace Radio begins now. And here is your host, Mike Janung. Hey, Mike Janung here. Welcome back to Blazing Grace Radio. Thank you for joining us on this journey and oftentimes battlefield of life. Last week, we spoke with Nagma Abedini Panahi. I had read her book and invited her to come back on. And her book is I Didn't Survive Emerging Whole After Deception, Persecution, and Hidden Abuse. And she made national news when she publicly advocated for the release of her then-husband, Saeed Abedini. This was back around 2012, I believe, who was imprisoned on Iran for his Christian faith, and she was able to speak and proclaim the gospel to millions across the globe during those years, and including in the U.S. Congress, European Parliament, the U.N., and but when it came out in 2015 that she'd been abused throughout her marriage by her then-husband, Saeed, the Christian community changed on her, and so Nagma Welcome back to the program. Thank you. And I love what you were sharing last week. I mean, you had you've had an amazing journey with a lot of tough trials and you persevered through a lot of challenging times a lot of us won't go through and so I just want to thank you for coming on and so this week I want to begin with um your relationship with Saeed and you met him in Iran, and as he was a, shall we say, rising star in the house church movement, you were dating him. And then I'm going to read a passage from your book where he kissed you after he kissed you for the first time. You guys were thinking about marriage or moving toward that, and you write, after we kissed behind the tree at the train station, our relationship progressed quickly. Our kiss turned into much more. There were times when we simply were unable to keep our hands off each other. All of my purity promises were thrown out the window, and I was not alone in that. Many Christians in the house church were promiscuous, and from that day onward, Saeed continued to push the boundaries of physical contact between us. We did not lead by example. And one reason I bring that out is because that mirrors what we see in the American church one survey showed that half of American Christians are okay with sex outside of marriage. Mm-hmm. So, And then you have the porn epidemic where upwards of 70% of Christian men and rising numbers of Christian women and 90% of youth are viewing porn. So what is your take on all of this? 
Yeah, and that was part of our story as well. The the porn addiction, as you know, we spoke about before. Yeah, it was. It's interesting. Islam, with all the coverings and um, religion, it was the same with the youth. We were um, leading the underground church, and it was all youth. It was all teenagers, and mostly ninety nine percent teenagers and college students. And um, you know, the explaining. Uh, uh, to yourself, especially in Iran, for example, a man who wants to marry a woman, he can't just ask for her hand in marriage. He has to have a house. He has to have certain financial provisions. And so you kind of explain things away, even the house church. Uh, youth who would explain it away, well, I, I'm not there yet. I can't uh, go ask her hand in marriage, but, you know, but we're going to get married eventually. We're were headed that way, and that was uh, the trap that me and Saeed fell into, and I fell into. I had uh, was so uh, protective about my the pure my purity and not having sex before marriage, and I didn't. But I was pretty much we were having sex. It was just <laughs> I was still a virgin when we got married, but we did so much, and um, I would push down this sense of guilt and shame, knowing knowing that this was not God's design. Um, by saying, well, we're eventually going to get married. We're pretty much married. And, you know, now looking back, it was the, uh, as, as uh, some people might know, abusers push sexual boundaries. And um, maybe if I had, if those sexual boundaries hadn't been pushed, um, there was times I would have walked away. Um, you know, I would have, um, because once those sexual boundaries were pushed, I felt like damaged goods. Um, and of course, what was taught through the purity movement was, you know, you kiss, you're pretty much uh, damaged goods and um, don't kiss even right up to your wedding. Like that should, should be your first kiss. And um, so I felt like damaged goods. No one would want me. And I proceeded with that relationship and uh, didn't realize until years later that um, my husband was also addicted to porn. Um, of course, um, Iran a lot of people might not know, but a lot of Muslim countries do have access to pornography and um, sex slavery and all of that it happens as well. I didn't know that. It was very much in the underground, uh, not very obvious um, to me, but I did know like of the you know sexual struggles of the youth where Said and I were in the same struggles. But it was not till I was we were in America and I was pregnant with my daughter, our first child that I noticed um i i um, realized said was addicted to porn and you guys were doing a lot of ministry in the house church while this was going on with the promiscuity right yep and that was the struggle it was how am i leading women how are we leading people to live a life that honors god and behind closed doors we're not doing that um and sometimes it was not behind closed doors sometimes uh, we were engaged and we were very touchy and we had house church members say, wait a minute, like what's going on here? Or we had, um, you know, others say, and we were not a good testimony to the Muslims because they already think, well, America, the West, that, you know, corrupted culture, this is what they do. And um, I had my aunt and uncle, my aunt and uncle that I live with, that they walked in a few times with me inside in, uh, you know, not in good um, a situation, you know, and, you know, I was very much ashamed. What What's the testimony we're leaving for 
the Muslims, um, even though they're doing the same thing. They have this religious cover-up. There's a lot of sexual sin, and um, there was a lot of um, um, things. Um, you know, later on, it made sense um, to me why Said had pushed certain sexual boundaries and was demanding certain things even before marriage sexually um, and uh, until you know I realized uh, what pornography was even was I had not been exposed to that so uh, but yes it was very very hard I felt so convicted it was almost relieved uh, I was almost relieved when we did get married um, even though th- there was a part of me you know I tried to break off the engagement twice there was a part of me that knew there was something wrong in this relationship, but part of me was relieved because I'm like, well, I'm not damaged goods anymore. I married the person that I did all this stuff with. So in a way, I, it was my saving grace. In a way, I was not a bad Christian anymore. I, I married the person that I had done all this stuff with. Mm. So um, so in a way, it was a relief, but it was it, it, I entered into a very dark road of abuse and uh, again, during my pregnancy with my daughter, because I am a really good sleeper at night, but when I was pregnant, I would wake up, and then I find my husband was like watching porn, and so that was the first time I noticed that oh, he, this is what he's watching. And after you got married, you have a chapter called "The Honeymoon from Hell," and I'm going to use the word where he basically raped you that night. And, mm-hmm. and and then moving forward, there was another uh, severe beating in Dubai where he physically yes. beat you. And so from your perspective, what switch flipped after you got married in him? She said I belong. I was there was no going back. Divorce was not an option in the Middle East culture and divorce was not an option in the Christian culture. We always. I always heard pastors look down and kind of, I don't know, just in a really bad way, say, you know, the divorce, talk about the divorce rate and, and kind of look down and, and in the Christian community, it's as bad. And so it's like, you didn't want to be part of that divorce rate. And of course, in the Middle East, uh, not for the man, but for the woman, divorce is, you're, you're done. Society's done with you. So it was not an option for me. Um, so I, really submitted. I continued submitting to a lot of bad behavior, including, like you said, um, a year, about a year after our marriage uh, was the first full beating where I nearly died and I was pregnant with my daughter. And it was in Dubai. We were transitioning. We, were, uh, we went to Dubai. We fled to Dubai as uh, persecution increased in Iran. And um, we fled to Dubai and then waited for Saeed's visa before coming to America because he'd never been to America. So we had to get a marriage visa. And during that time is when the beating happened. It was when we went to Dubai. And then America came to America. And now I'm fully pregnant with my daughter, seeing him watch porn. First, he's ashamed. Then he's like, eh, you know, whatever. You walk in on me watching porn. That's fine. Then it was like, no, you're supposed to do this. If you want to be a good, godly wife, you're supposed to please me sexually in whatever way I ask you to. So it became from him feeling ashamed for me walking in on him, on with watching porn to him saying, nope, this is actually a Christian thing to do. Mm. 
and the physical abuse even bled over into your your family because he put your dad in the hospital too, right? Yes. And, you know, a police officer said this is getting very dangerous um, because um, transferred over to my dog, which I had to get give away because um, Said was being uh, abusive to my golden retriever, which are the sweetest dogs that don't hurt anyone. And uh, I knew I had to give them away. And then it, my dad, well, it was like it progressed. It was like the dog. Then it was like uh, he was breaking stuff in the house, like put a knife in my dad's TV. Um, at that time, it, you know, at that time, um, when I was pregnant with my second child, I had fled to my parents' home. By, but my um, pastor had said, you need to go somewhere safe. This guy's crazy. So we had separated for, for a while. Uh, he had moved, went to California for like six months. Long story short, he ended up moving in with my parents at my parents' house, and the violence continued there where it was he was destroying property, and then it um, broke my dad. I mean, beat up my dad to a point where the doctors actually said if he, the punch had been a little bit harder or a different angle, you would have died instantly. And so the police actually said at that time, because on all of these instances, we didn't press charges. And the police said, you know what, this is leading to a point where we might come here for a homicide, like homicide, because it's progressing. And usually someone who hurts an animal or destroys property, then the next step is killing someone. And so the police warned us about that. But yeah, the, the progression of the abuse uh, continued, I mean, uh, with my dad, which again, breaking cultural norms in my culture, you don't even... Uh, you're very careful with an adult, with an elder. You don't you don't even speak loud to them. You're very respectful. And Said broke all of that. He was, you know, later I found out he'd moved into my parents' house and my dad was the man of the house. And he, in a way, was trying to show my dad, nope, um, I am the one that's in control in this house. You're, I'm the man, not you. And it was kind of like a power play. Um, but yeah, it, it kept getting worse and worse, but I didn't see divorce as an option. And actually my dad, um, there, there was a time I had contemplated it when I had moved in with my parents and Saeed had went to California, but my dad had said, you don't want your children going up without a father, just forgive him. You know, just don't, don't, like, I was just thinking about it. And my dad was the one that actually stepped in and had me and Saeed reconcile. Mm. So I want to um, fast forward a bit to hit an issue. Um, so after uh, Saeed was released from prison in Iran, he came back. You guys divorced. Uh, immediately before he was released, you came out with the truth that you've been physically abused and there was porn addiction in him in the marriage. And, and then it flipped the Christian community out. And so I want to read now a passage or a small piece from a book from that somebody else wrote, Nogman. Then I'm going to read a quote that you wrote because they both tie in to where I want to go with this. So this is from Russell Moore's book, Losing Our Religion. He was the president mm. of the Southern Baptist Convention. And after the sex abuse scandal hit when more than 700 came out and said they'd been molested by church leadership in Baptist churches, he writes – in attempting to address accountability for such churches and leaders, we face stonewalling and retaliation for even the most minimal efforts. 
in mind-numbing meetings behind closed doors, sexual abuse survivors were described as Potiphar's wife, among other insults. Abuse survivors were characterized as crazy and, at least by one leader, worse than the abusers themselves. The Me Too movement was described by these Southern Baptist leaders as a tool of the devil by some of them. One leader told me I had a responsibility to protect the base. After all, churches might stop giving to the institutions, and that would hurt missionaries in the advance of the gospel. All would be well with me if I would just treat sexual abuse in the church like an unspoken prayer request. In other words, cover it up. And then this is what you wrote, Nogma, in your book. By speaking up about Saeed's abuse, I was damaging the cause of Christ and giving the church a bad reputation to the world. I was judged mm. to be a liar, an adulteress, and a Jezebel who was trying to take the lead in the family by drawing boundaries regarding the abuse. Many people were upset because they hadn't gotten the happy ending they were hoping for. Becoming an outcast of the church was devastating. I was left bare and bleeding by the side of the road, untouchable by religious leaders. And you write also, I was advised by several prominent Christian leaders to backtrack my statements and cover up the abuse or I would no longer be useful for ministry. Covering up meant moving forward with a book deal and a movie deal, continuing to receive invitations to speak and receive the praise of the Christian community. Not covering it up would mean losing everything. Mm-hmm. So what is your perspective on the, the great cover-up in the church on abuse and sexual sin? Yeah, I still get that um, from people saying when I um, share a report of a leader and what they they say, well, they do such great things for the kingdom of God. You're damaging the cause of Christ. You're making, you know, outsiders um, make us look bad. And you're, you know, the church is going to crumble if people find out that this pastor has been doing this. And and you read the Bible and God's not um, <laughs> frightened by that. <laughs> He's not frightened by uh, uh, sin coming to light. Actually, that's who God is. Um, light, sin comes to light, and as Christians, we can say this is not Christianity. How this is not Christianity to be watching things like this, like porn. This is not Christianity to be abusing your flock instead of um, nurturing them. This is not Christianity to be abusing your wife. But unfortunately, I was told by big names, and like you will never do ministry. You're never gonna. Uh, we're going to make sure you don't survive. And, you know, at that time, I didn't care. I I was more interested in having a genuine walk with Christ than this fake Christianity of having a ministry, (laughs) speaking at large audiences, um, but hiding truth. And I just, uh, God just, like, spoke to me through His Word. That's silly. Just let it go. Like, I am saving you from that world where there's an amazing outside image, sin is covered up, but you get millions in speaking, you get millions in book, you get a movie, and you're this hero. There's there's absolutely no hero but Jesus Christ. We are to decrease, He is to increase. And so God just really spoke to me, okay, let them attack you, be, decrease, decrease. You have, you 
how we're raised up to this level of meeting with presidents and speaking at 30,000 people churches and mega churches and on every TV station, on every radio station, I crucify, like die to yourself, decrease that I might increase and let them take away the ministry. Let them, they're in position of power. They're these people uh, I mentioned in my book, Franklin Graham, for example, they, they had power. They had power with Christian media. They have still do have power with Christian ministry, and they're in a place of power. They can take it away, and God's like, let them. Just walk with me. Just learn to walk with me and enjoy being with me. And um, I think that's ultimately it, even in my um, towards the end of my book where I talk about my, the depression I went through and uh, or after all the things that crumbled and I no longer was a wife, I was no longer a pastor's wife, I was no longer a ministry, and I'm like, what am I? Who am I? And he's like, you're my child. That's enough. And this is still what I go back to. This morning I was reading an Exodus where Moses is talking to God. And he's like, you know, we the, the thing that makes us different from the rest of the world is that you walk with us. You're with us. And that's it. You know, um, I had to get to that place. And I get that to that place daily um, of learning what it means to decrease, what it means to just enjoy life, not because life is not hard and it's a struggle as a single mom and um, you know, people in place of power don't like the message I give. I'm not getting invited to speak at big events talking about church abuse or, um, but God's like, just today you live and you have hope for today just because I live. Like the meaning of your life should not be centered around who you are, what ministry you're doing. And I keep wanting that. I keep wanting to grasp that things that gives me meaning or my work or God's like, no, just learn to have your identity wrapped up in me and just walking with me and just being with me. And it's something I have to learn daily. And today through Exodus, my time in the Word was God was reminding me again. And, you know, in in, in response to Moses, God says, and I, I've called you by name. I'm going to give you this request. You know, Moses is interceding with God and said, you know, we are known because you're with us. Like, don't abandon us. This is how we're known. We're different from different nations is because you walk with us. And God's like, yes, I'm going to give you this request because I know you by name. I've paraphrased my study, my devotional from today, but basically this is something I get back to every day. And I think as Christians, this is what we need to come back to. The world is going to want to define us by what we do, what's your job, what's your title, what's your influence, how many followers, um, how many people, you know, and God's like, nope. Even if you influence one person, and that's a, that's that for me is uh, being an influencer of millions. And find your identity in me. Um, the world keeps wanting us to find our identity in others, and especially having been in a marriage, my only sexual experience with a man who was addicted to porn um, was horrible sexual experience. I was raped in my honeymoon. I was horribly treated all throughout our marriage. Um, and so there's a lot of it that that yuck wants to get on you and make you um, wrap up your identity in how you were treated and how you were abused. And God's like, nope, that's not who you are. Your identity is in me. Your worth is in me. Who you know all of that. So I think ultimately to summarize all of that at the book, I didn't survive because like when a new person, the new me that emerged. Uh, was stripped of everything, of marriage, of title, of wife, 
Um, I entered into a season of very scary financial season, single mom, all of that. And it was God was like, it's okay. You're going to walk daily with me and I'm going to provide for you daily. Mm. But your, your identity has to be in me, not wrapped up in anything else. And not even the abuse and the porn and the sexual abuse that you endured in your marriage. Agree, and I love it. And so we got 40 seconds, Nagma, and speak to the woman who is going through hell in her marriage. Maybe she's been abused or being abused, or maybe her husband's unfaithful. Speak to that woman right now in 30 seconds. I would say boundaries. God is a God of boundaries. And seek God, cling to God. He will he will show you a way out. He is faithful. So boundaries and clinging to God. Do not let him go. Do not um, do not let the lies of that he doesn't care. He cares, and he will give you a way out. He will rescue you. Amen. And you've persevered through a lot, Nogman. You've earned the right to give voice to the things that you're giving voice to. So I just can't encourage you enough to keep on going and keep pressing forward because – we need to hear these things and to face up to them. So thank you. Thank you, Mike, for the courage to talk about this stuff that no one else wants to talk about. I appreciate you. Well, thank you, and thank you for joining us, my friends, and we'll talk to you next time. Do you want to be free? Blazing Grace is a nonprofit international ministry for the sexually broken and the spouse. Please visit us at blazinggrace.org for information on Mike Janung's books, groups, counseling, or to have Mike speak at your organization. You can email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call our office in Chandler, Arizona at 719-888-5144. Again, visit us at blazinggrace.org. Email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call the office at 719-888-5144. This program was sponsored by Blazing Grace Ministries.